Welcome to The King's Table, a podcast out of Kings Hill Church in Boston where we seek to elevate the Bible over opinion, answering the questions you had. I'm your host, Jonathan Mosley. Today we'll be hearing from Kevin Henderson, our pastoral associate, as he talks about salvation. What are we saved from? What are we saved to? How does it happen? And how does knowing about salvation change the way we respond to God? Enjoy today's discussion. Today we're going to be addressing the topic of salvation, and I'm glad that we're getting to address this today because the event of salvation is fundamentally what moves a person from death and separation from God and moves them back into a relationship with God. It is salvation that is, is, that is instilling in someone new life. Ephesians 2 sums this up so well. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. You see several important elements about salvation in just these few verses. First, we are saved from God's wrath. He begins with, you were dead in your sins and trespasses. I think something we can minimize too easily is mankind's sinful condition apart from God's grace. What the Bible is clear on is that all of us are sinful by nature. These sins are against God, and he is clear that the punishment for sin is death. This was true of Adam and Eve when they would first eat of the tree that they would die. And Paul makes it clear in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. God in his holiness must punish sin, and so apart from Jesus Christ, we experience God's wrath resulting in death. It may be overused, but in thinking about salvation, I always like the picture of a person needing rescue from the middle of the ocean. I think we often think of salvation and we imagine us struggling to stay up. We're almost drowning in hopelessness, and we see this ship going by. And realizing our desperate situation and yelling out for help, our arms are up in the air struggling. But this isn't the language the Bible uses. No, it says you are dead. You are face down in the water. You're unable to even call out for help. Salvation is our being saved from death, from God's wrath. But second, we are saved by God. Back in Ephesians 2, verse 4 begins, but God. See, we are face down in the water, and God acts. God sends his only son, Jesus, God himself coming to earth. He would live as a man, fulfilling all that was promised about him. And in our place, go to the cross, paying the punishment of death for our sins. And after three days, raising to life again. We are made alive and given new life only through faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We are saved by God. But third, we're saved to God. Our salvation isn't ultimately to just escape the punishment of God's wrath, but it is a a restoration of the relationship with him that was destroyed by sin. And as we are made righteous through Christ, we're now called, we now get to call God Father, and we're given promises and blessings as his heirs. The greatest treasure we have is God, and so we're saved to him. And so as we examine this idea of salvation, it's important to see that we are saved from God, saved by God, and saved to God. All three are essential parts of salvation. But in addition to seeing what we're saved from, by, and to, we can also examine how salvation is accomplished in each individual. The temptation is to picture it as one event. I was saved. 
In reality, there, are, there were steps that were taken, but in these steps we'll see that there are past, present, and future tenses to salvation. These steps are what some call the order of salvation. A very condensed version of this is found in Romans chapter 8, verses 29 and 30. This is what it says. It says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those who he justified, he also glorified. Now notice when I say order of salvation, it doesn't necessarily mean a time sequence of events, but instead these are more like logical steps in the same event that is salvation. Perhaps it's similar to, to if you said, I made dinner. In one sense, it was one event that ended with food on the table with which you enjoyed with friends and family. But in another sense, you took logical steps, each dependent on the other to be completed. You decided what meal to prepare. You went to the store and you, brought in, and you bought ingredients. You preheated the oven. You measured out each ingredient. You mixed them together. You placed them in a dish. You cooked them for an established amount of time, and then you, you portioned it and you put it on plates for everyone to enjoy. But in short, you made dinner. So as we consider the order of salvation, you'll see that the see, you'll see this sequence in nine steps. For each, I'll, I'll provide a definition that comes from Tim Challies and visual theology. So let's examine these nine steps of salvation. First, we have election. Election, defined like this. It says, before creation, because of his sovereign good pleasure, God chooses some people to be saved. Now, this point is hotly debated on the rightness of God choosing some and not others, but let's allow the Bible to speak on this. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 13 says, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved. Ephesians 1 verse 4 even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Because we are deserving of God's wrath, election is entirely an act of grace and of mercy. It is an act that is directly of God. It is of his choosing. An election is also not a response to God's foreknowledge of our acceptance of him. He doesn't elect us because he knows that someday we will choose him. We're unable. We're completely dead. Instead, he chooses us. The second step that's going to be here is calling. God summons people to himself through the human proclamation of the gospel so that they respond in saving faith. Paul talks about his calling in Galatians 1. In verse 15, he says, But when he who had set me apart before I was born, note that that's, that's elected or chose him, he says, but when he who had set, set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace. We read, uh, we read before in 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 13 where God chose you as the first fruits to be saved. Picking up in verse 14, to this he calls you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there are two types of calling that are found in scripture. Uh, the first type is a general calling. This is simply the proclamation of the gospel. A good illustration of this is the parable of the sower. The sower went along and he spread seed everywhere he went. 
That seed fell on hard and rocky and thorny ground, and it didn't bear any fruit. But it was still proclaimed. It was still scattered about. This general call is given to all. But then there's an effectual calling. This is a calling that will lead to repentance. It leads to good fruit. Mark 4.23 says, If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus, also speaking in John 6, verse 44, says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So the elect receive this calling and they embrace this message because God allows them to have ears to hear um, and the Father draws them, draws us towards Christ. There is this effectual calling. So we have an election and calling. But our third step is regeneration. Regeneration would simply mean God secretly and sovereignly imparts spiritual life to those who have been called. This is specifically how the elect, those that are chosen, or those that God has chosen, respond to the effectual call. Ezekiel 36, 26 puts it this way. It says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. This is the new creation. This is new life that is breaking through in someone's life. The Holy Spirit works in one's heart, and the result is the ability to respond to the call. Note that before you've done anything or you've even been able to respond, if God wills it, he will act in these three ways. If you are in Christ, these are all three past things that have happened. It's election, calling, and regeneration. Our fourth step is conversion, or we might say faith and repentance. This simply is that we willingly respond to the gospel call, repenting of sin and placing faith in Christ for salvation. There's a natural flow that's at work here. For those that God has regenerated, there is a natural response of faith. The response of faith is a repentance of sin. The idea is that we now grieve and hate our sin and turn to God, the only one able to save us from it. One theologian writes, When a person is regenerated, it is morally and spiritually impossible for that person not to believe. This is the first step of which we have had any part to play. So far it is entirely God that has been at work. But as a response to God at work, the step of conversion is our willing response to God's work, for and in us. But the next step is justification. This is an instantaneous legal act of God in which he declares that our sins are forgiven and Christ's righteousness is ours. 2 Corinthians 5.21 puts it this way. It says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Here are the two, set, the two sides of justification here in this verse. First, the penalty for our sin is placed on Jesus. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. But then second, we are given Christ's righteousness. If we picture this as a debt, then we have a debt that there is no way we can even contribute to, getting, to, to removing. But Jesus first takes this from us. He effectively eliminates the debt against God. But this only brings us back to like a, a zero balance, if you will. But in the same instantaneous act, we are given all of Christ's riches, an absolutely incredible amount of riches. 
In an instant, we go from an irreconcilable debt to extreme riches in Christ. That's justification. But six, the next one along, is adoption. This is an act of God in which he makes us members of his family. As Galatians 4, 6, and 7 points out, we now call out to God as daddy. Paul says, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Far from being enemies of God, spiritual orphans that are without hope, we now have God as our Father. Now through these first six points, if you have experienced salvation, God worked from before creation to choose you, eventually calling and regenerating you so that you could respond in conversion at which point you were instantaneously justified and adopted as a child of God. These would all be past events of salvation. But the next, sanctification, continues in the present. Sanctification is simply this. It's a progressive, lifelong work of God and man that frees us from sin and makes us more like Christ. Writer of Hebrews in chapter 13, verse 21, says, May God equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. Ephesians 4, verses 22 through 24 says, To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and it is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. There is a continual act of rooting out and removing sin, these parts of the old self, until we resemble Christ. Responding to God in faith and repentance, the work of grieving and hating sin continues. Sanctification will continue to be a lifelong exercise of continually being molded into the image of Christ for the glory of God. But next is perseverance. Perseverance, defined as this, all those who are justified will be kept by God's power and persevere as Christians to the end of their lives. Philippians 1.6 says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Or 1 Thessalonians 5.23 and 24, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. In much the same way that someone who has been regenerated will respond to the effectual call, those who are saved are promised that God will complete his good work in them. But our last uh, step here is glorification glorification. This is simply, God will finally remove all trace of sin from the Christian and give him a resurrection body. The whole person, body and soul, is finally redeemed. Philippians 3.21 says, Jesus will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This fullness of salvation is finally complete. There is clearly a future element to this salvation work. 
So it's important to, to again remember that this is not a, a time order or that necessarily that you would experience distinct recollections of when each part was accomplished. Many happen instantaneously, and even sanctification would begin in an instant at conversion, but at the same time it continues throughout the rest of life. But yet each part is essential to our understanding of Christian salvation. So of course all of this begs the question, why does this matter to you? So I have a few things that I'd like to share in regards to that. First, recognize even in our definition how much of salvation was God at work. God chooses, God calls, God imparts spiritual life, God declares justification, God adopts, God works in sanctification, God perseveres, and God glorifies. Salvation should cause us to worship and glorify God for His grace and love. Second, no one but God knows those that He has chosen. Therefore, like the sower, Christians should be widely calling people to faith and repentance. As it says in Romans 10:14, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they've never heard? Someone must share with them. Alternatively, if God has been softening your heart toward him, then delay no longer in responding to his call. Saving faith comes as you know Jesus, his death, and his resurrection, and you place your trust in him. Repent of your sins and place your faith in Christ for salvation today. But third, for the Christian, be encouraged by the promise that God will bring to completion that which he has begun. He is at work. We then continue to respond in repentance and faith to sin in our lives as God continues to sanctify us in Christ. But likewise, long for the day when all will be made new. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's discussion as we talked about salvation. And it really is God all the way. Much to praise Him for. Glad you could join us at the King's Table. If you would like more information or resources from King's Hill Church, you can visit us online at www.kingshillboston.com.